Welcome to everyone, a bunch of new faces that I don't know, so it's awesome to see you all here. We're gonna, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started tonight, um, so if you would, bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you yet again um, in recognition that you are an awesome God that has called us each together here to be your church tonight, to be your family, your sons, your daughters, brothers and sisters of each other. And I ask that as we spend this time in fellowship over the next hour, hour and 15 minutes, that you would be present in real and tangible ways for each of us, that we would come to this moment with open hearts and open minds, that we would listen for your prompting in our own life, and that we might learn something new about you and our relationship with you tonight. So I ask all of this in your Son's name and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. We are jumping into the middle of chapter 16 of Luke. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, or the first time in a long time, um, we have been looking at Luke for now 16 or 17 months. We started at the very beginning, and we are looking at every chapter in the book. Um, and it will take us almost two years to get to the end of it. Um, but we think that it's important to actually look at what Jesus said, and so we're not, we don't pick and choose, at least not at the moment. We're not picking and choosing particular scriptures and teaching on them, we're looking at the whole thing. And so we're not leaving anything out. Um, we're trying to see what he said, what it meant. Um, we talk a lot about the cultural context, as you'll see tonight. Um, and we try to take that and then apply it to our own lives. Um, so last week, somebody who was here, give us a brief summary of what we did last week, because it's important. And from the regulars, I get blank faces at this point every week, because no one ever remembers what we did last week. Yeah, there we go. We talked about the parable of the shrewd managers. Somebody summarize that for us. Somebody define shrewd, which I failed to do at the beginning last week. Wise or prudent, right? Okay, there we go. Bart remembered it. And so what is that parable about and what does it teach us? Uh, it taught us about a manager that was shrewd, but was also, um, yes, using the definition. But... Uh, taught us about a manager that was shrewd, but was also cheating his master, and his master fired him, and Jesus compared uh, the manager to the disciples. I'm going to repeat that because I don't think people back can hear you. Um, the parable is basically about a guy, he's a business manager for a rich guy who's um, doing underhanded stuff and taking money, maybe skimming money. We don't exa know exactly what he's doing, but word gets back to the boss, so he calls the guy in and says, you're fired, get your books together, get all your business taken care of, squared away, you're out of here. And so he goes out and realizes that, you know, I can't, um, for whatever reason, whether it's just beneath me or I physically can't go dig and do manual labor, and I'm certainly not going to go beg. So he decides that he's going to go around to the people who still owe his boss money and cut deals with them. And so he shaves the price that they owe the boss. And we talked about they may have taken payment then and they may not have. Whatever he does, he reduces the debt and then goes back to the manager and says, here, I've collected this much. I'm out of here, but what he's done is he's used money in his situation to set himself up with these other business people to go get a job from them. So he's basically making all the other business clients happy so that when he walks out the door, he can hopefully go get a job. And then Jesus tells that story and then turns around and says, you, my disciples, you ought to learn from that story. You need to be as wise with your money as this guy is. Now, is Jesus saying, be dishonest? No. What he's saying is we need to, as his followers, as people of his kingdom, be wise with our money. And ultimately, that's going to mean being generous and stewarding, big Christian word for taking care of, managing 
the resources we've been gifted with in proper ways, generous ways, kingdom ways. So that's what we looked at last week, and that sets up what we're getting ready to read this week in Luke. So, Joey, if you would read it for us. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed on the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The, man, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. And now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. There is way more in what we just read than we're going to deal with tonight. Um, the very first part, this section... We're going to sort of gloss over tonight because it raises lots of very good and important questions about the nature of heaven and hell, and there's some things about free will versus predestination in here that we can pull out of here. We're not going there tonight. I don't think that was Jesus' intent in saying these words here, although we can learn that sort of thing from these words, but it's not wise to take just these little paragraphs and talk tonight about heaven and hell apart from addressing all the other places he talks about heaven and hell. So I'm just going to say that that's in here, and if you hear these words and you are thinking about that, you're on the right track, but that's not something we're talking about tonight. Nor when we get to the parable of uh, Lazarus and the rich man, are we going to talk necessarily about what heaven and hell looks like based on that parable, because that also, I think, is taking a finite description, and we can get, get in some... Um, bad territory if we take that apart from looking at the overall picture of heaven and hell that Jesus gives us. We will do that, just not tonight. <laughs> so what I want to say about this before um, we really move into the parable, which is where we're going to spend most of our time, is that Jesus is obviously at the outset responding to Pharisees who have heard the parable that he's just told, which was what? The shrewd manager, Okay, which is about money and using money. And Jesus, at the end of that parable in his explanation, talks about how the point is to be generous. 
Okay, be generous with your money. Give it away if that's what you need to do. You know, if you buy things, use your things for other people. Be a generous person. And so the Pharisees, obviously, we're told here they were lovers of money, right? Heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Uh, the word ridiculed, other places will get uh, translated as scoffed, looked down upon him. So they are feeling themselves superior to Jesus. And who is this ignorant guy talking about money to us, right? So they, they have sort of an air of superiority and they're writing him off. And then he says to them, um, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. And that is an echo of a long stretch of scripture several chapters ago where Jesus was very brutal to Pharisees, Sadducees, and rich people in general, people in control and in power for the way they wielded and used their power and their wealth. And he talked a lot about, you know, Jesus made the pot, or God made the pot. Don't you think that he knows the inside as well as the outside? And, and so Jesus here is echoing that. And so he's, again, laying into them for their attitudes towards money. Because they love it, they hoard it, they love their power, they love the wealth that goes with it. And we're going to obviously see that in the coming parable. And then he gets into this part about the law and the prophets. Who has any idea what that's talking about and why that's in here? Okay. What's, what's Jesus talking about other than John's the last, the last prophet? What does that mean? What we're talking about and what Jesus is saying is here is there was, there was a time before John the Baptist, all right, Old Testament. And we've talked about, when we looked at the first couple chapters of Luke, how John was the last of the biblical prophets. Prior to John, who was a contemporary and cousin of Jesus, there was 500 years of silence from God through prophets. Okay, so there was Old Testament prophets. The last one sort of is silenced. And then 500 years go by until John shows up. And he is the last of the biblical Old Testament prophets before Jesus shows up. And so depending on which scholar you read and who you talk to, and some people will say he's in this, fully in this old way of God relating to people. And some people say, no, he's the first of the new way, sort of the forerunner to Jesus. Um, a lot of people say he's sort of both. So he's this bridge. And I say all that to say here that what Jesus is talking about is there was a time when there was law. But things are changing. I mean, we know that as Christians 2,000 years later having this whole book, having lots and lots of pages spilled about theology and what Jesus did, that there is definitely something that changed when Jesus showed up and lived the life that he lived, died the death that he died, and then rose to bring us in relationship, right? Our relationship with God changes. And so what Jesus is saying here is that there was this period that was all about law. You had the Old Testament. You had um, the, the Ten Commandments. You had Judaic law. And that was the way it was. Things are now changing. And then he says, but... No, you know, in this section here, this middle paragraph, what he's saying is know that that law doesn't go away. All right? We're not changing it, and it's not like you can now go murder your neighbor. You shouldn't go around having adultery, having an affair. It's not like what I'm coming to do and what is getting ready to change means that any of this goes away. It means our, ultimately we know that what is changing is our relationship with God and the importance of that law and how that plays into our relationship. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on here in this bottom paragraph to reiterate a number of the, the laws about divorce and adultery just to stipulate or to confirm that, yes, those old laws still do exist. 
That's all we're going to say about that one tonight. Let's move on and get into the parable. So following that up, we get into this parable. Somebody summarize for me real quick what happens here. Who are the main characters? A rich man and Lazarus. Who's Lazarus? There's a description of him. He's a poor man. So you've got a rich man and a poor man. The poor man has a name. His name's Lazarus. That name is very, very important. This is the only character in any of Jesus' parables that's named. Lazarus is a contraction for the word Elazarus. Okay, so from Elazarus, they contracted, shortened it down and got Lazarus. That's where it comes from. Like if you know where your name came from, that's what we're talking about. Lazarus means God helps. So Lazarus means God helps. That name in this parable, I, mean, I think once you know that, you see that that's an important detail. All right? this guy, the fact that this guy's name is important. It's equally as important that the rich man is not named. Why would that be important? Okay, that's true. Bart said um, because his riches in this world he thinks are important, but it's not. And that's definitely true. I'm not sure... What, what would naming the rich man do? What does that do in your brain when you, if I said his name was... Exactly. All right? So we have an example of Lazarus. When, when we name Lazarus, you know it's one dude, right? Sitting at a gate. When we say just a rich man, it can be anybody. And so Jesus is now, in turn, responding to the Pharisees, who had just scoffed at his previous parable. So when he just says a rich man, he's now opened that character up to anyone who's rich. So now we're talking about everyone in general who might fit into this category. And so this parable has application to anyone that finds themselves there. I'm going to tell you, we all find ourselves there. So this, this, one, this one's going to sting a little. If you're listening, it's going to. All right, so we have rich man and Lazarus. And what's the deal? What's the scene on the outset? What's going on? Before that, rich man's rich, right? Lazarus is poor. What, what, is Lazarus, what does it say Lazarus does? Yes, he desired to be fed. End of the second line. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. That sentence actually tells us quite a bit. So Lazarus is a poor guy that was laid. The tense of that verb is important. He didn't go lie down. He was laid down. What does that mean? Somebody put him there. He's likely paralyzed or crippled, handicapped. So he's poor. He's a beggar. Um, lots of the people who begged at gates are handicapped. We're told that he has sores. He's not a leper. We know that because a leper would be outcast and thrown outside the city gate. But he has some sort of skin disease that has caused him to have sores that are so bad that the dogs come and lick them. Our dog, we just had... Um, a nice vet visit, um, had some bacteria in her skin, and she was just licking all the time. It was nasty. Um, she got, it actually was so bad so quickly that she smelled. All right? I mean, so you can imagine this guy, if his sores are so bad that, you know, you know what bed sores are, right, if you're in the, sit in the hospital too long. I mean, this guy, that may be his situation. He may have bed sores. He may have a skin disease. He may stink. I mean, dogs are coming around to lick this guy at, at, or at the rich man's gate. Um, something you can't tell from this, but I'll tell you the word for gate that's used in the Greek 
is a word that's used for the gate of a temple, of a palace, um, of a monumental building. So that indicates that we're talking about a very rich guy in think mansion. So we got the wealthiest of the wealthy and the lowliest of the low sitting in his gate. And somebody said that what does Lazarus want? What kind of food? It tells us anything, right? Yeah, just the crumbs. Just give me the crumbs, man. So you can imagine this rich guy comes out of his gate, you know, the big, I don't know, golden things opening up, and he rides out, you know, or he's carried out. Who knows what's really going on, right? And here's the poor guy sitting down just begging, dude, just give me your crumbs. Like, throw me something. And what does the rich guy do? Day after day. What was that, Mike? He just goes on by. Absolutely ignores the guy. So that's, that's the setting. That, that's the two characters and the dynamic relationship that they have with each other. So we got the richest rich and Lazarus, whose name means what? God helps. Then, Jen, what happens? They die. They die all right? <laughs> they die. It's over, right? Life is done. And what are we told happens to Lazarus? Say it louder. Yes, he's carried by angels to Abraham's side. I want to tell you right now, like I said earlier, don't draw too many literal conclusions about the nature of heaven and hell from this parable. Jesus is telling a story about this relationship between the two people and the consequences of their actions. This story does contradict some other things in the Bible about what heaven and hell are like. So don't get hung up on the details. Don't get hung up about on the fact that, you know, it literally says he was swept right up to Abraham's side. Other places it says that we lay in wait. So, like, a whole other really high-level theological discussion we have to have before we start talking about that. What's important is Lazarus goes to heaven. Where does rich guy go? Hades. Anybody know about Greek mythology? What's Hades? It's the place for the dead. The place for the dead. In Greek mythology, it's more of a holding place. In Judaic history and theology, it is much more negatively seen. It is much more like what we think of when we say hell. Um, it's not the sort of holding gate, purgatory kind of Hades that is in Greek mythology. I'll just say that much more. Okay, so we have these two guys. Lazarus is now in heaven with Abraham. Who's Abraham? Just so we all know for sure. The father, Father Abraham, right? Everybody sing the song? You laugh because you know it, right? Right? The, the, the one called, you know, that started the Israel nation that gets called in the Old Testament, um, the father of the faith. So he's there to, to accept, um, to welcome Lazarus into heaven, and the rich guy is cast into Hades. And so what is the picture? What, what is the picture here? We now have Lazarus in heaven, and it's actually the, the actual Greek there says that he's brought into um, Abraham's bosom, and so the the place of welcome, the place of warmth. You know, if you're if you picture a mother with a child, you know, clasped close to her chest, to her bosom, and this is the place of love and acceptance, and and you know everything that you think good about God. If you think good things about God, like that, that's what some people don't. You know? I mean, some of us might not. That's and that's fair. We can talk about that another time. You know, like Bart hates God. You know that. <laughs> 
So he, he's definitely in this you know, warm, happy, fuzzy place. And then we have rich man in not warm, fuzzy place. Well, it's warm. <laughs> okay? Not warm. Friggin' hot. Okay? All right? Again, we have, um, you know, this imagery of flames is an image that Jesus uses often. It's where people get their fire and brimstone uh, messages from. We've talked about it before. Um, Jesus often refers to hell as Gehenna, which is an actual literal place outside one of the gates of Jerusalem. Where they used to burn trash, and they would burn bodies of convicts. Uh, it was a nasty place, and so Jesus uses this imagery to describe heaven. Okay? And if you were with us at the very beginning, we talked about hell when we did our little doctrine series at the very beginning. We talked about the fact, is hell a place where you go and you burn and your skin falls off and little you know, devils hit you with pitchforks? Jen says yes. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's good for tattoo business, right? So, <laughs> it, we cannot afford for hell to not be there. Right, right. right. Um, I don't know, but it's at least that and probably a whole lot worse. Um, whether it's emotional or mental torment, it, it's not a nice place, okay? But, the, but do know that these images that we see Jesus using don't necessarily take them literal. They might be, we don't know for sure. We do know that they do refer to a literal place that was pretty gross and nasty. It was not a good place. In fact, um, some of the more evil, wicked um, kings in that 500-year period between when the prophets were speaking, we talked about earlier, um, they used to you know, sacrifice children there. I mean, just some evil things went on there. Um, so that's what he uses, and again here he's using flames to sort of stand for and symbolize and explain to everyone that hell, Hades, not a good place to go. You don't like being there. And does Lazarus, or not Lazarus, but does the rich man like being there? What's his response? What does he say? He wants Lazarus to dip his finger in his water and come wet his tongue, right? Why? He's thirsty. It's hot. <laughs> it would be really nice if I could have some cold water right about now. So what, what has happened here? Jen goes, <laughs> yeah, right? It's flopped. We see very clearly that these roles are flopped. All right? Here is the poor man who couldn't get a crumb. Lazarus, you know, feeble likely handicapped, begging Lazarus, now in heaven, you know, right next to Abraham, the father of the faith, in his glory and power, you know, that is heaven, you know, all that goodness, you know, angels and harps and clouds and fluffy goodness, right? <laughs> A lot better than, you know, the torment. And here is rich guy who lived in palace, who had servants and, you know, Got to ignore Lazarus. Yes, purple linens. By the way, <laughs> purple women. No, not purple women. That's odd. Okay. Um, I will just say, since you brought it up, purple linens are a very, very high class, rich thing to have. Uh, the dye that made purple in this day was taken from snails, and you only get a little bit out of each snail, and so it was very expensive to have. I mean, it's the color of royalty in these days. Um, so that was just one more indicator of the wealth that this rich guy really has. And so that guy is now begging for just a drop of water the same way Lazarus was dreb begging for a crumb from his table as he exited his gates. So we have, Jen's right, a complete reversal of what was happening during their life. 
So rich guy says, please, please, Abraham. What does he say? Who does he address? I just told you, but who does he address? Okay, what does he ask for? Well, beyond, okay, ask for mercy, but what does he, like, what does he actually expect? What's going to happen? He's going to send Lazarus, right? Does he think, still think Lazarus is his slave? Like, Lazarus is still beneath me. Like, tell him to come wait on me. Like, this is the guy that's at my gate, right? He still doesn't get it. He's still sort of whacked off his head. And so Abraham says what? <laughs> okay, what does he actually say? What's his first word? Somebody who's been here for a while, or anybody, if you know, tell me about that term. That kind of like little sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are laughing because little sheep is not really a nice term. <laughs> sheep or stupid? When Jesus says you're we're a sheep, like he's saying you're cute, you're fluffy, I love you, but you're stupid. All right. It's equivalent to, I grew up in Atlanta, when somebody wanted to insult you, they say you're the biggest moron on the earth, God bless your heart. Like, it's that kind of deal, right? It sounds nice, but it's not. Okay? Um, kind of. I mean, the, the whole phrase is kind of that way. But child is the nice, fluffy part, right? Think uh, Jesus' phrase, Talitha Kum, when he grabs the, the girl and raises her from the dead. Um, think his term, he called someone son in the last couple weeks. What do you know about those terms? Yeah, they're turned into endearment. Like, this is a, the word that's used here, this child, I mean, he's called him child. It's a loving term. It's, it's not just, you're a jerk, right? <laughs> you're going to stay down there forever and ever and ever, right? He's, oh, you know, dear child, you are mistaken, right? It's loving, but it's very firm. And he says, you know, okay, so dear child, remember, in your lifetime, you received many good things, right? I added the many, by the way. Um, and Lazarus, in like manner, many bad things, right? Again, I added a word. For those of you keeping track. Now he's comforted here and you are in anguish, all right? So we, Abraham is confirming the reversal. Things are flipped. Things are flipped. Why? Now, we know this based on the previous parable and some other things that Jesus said. Why are things flipped? Why is rich man where the rich man is? Because he was rich? No. All right, because of the choices he made. Right. What choices did he make? Yeah, I got selfishness here. I got ignored Lazarus here. What What we got, Megan? Yeah, he chose to love money. By the way, what's the root of all evil? Yeah, not money, love of money, right? This guy's not in hell, Hades, because he had money. It's because he loved money. He chose it above Lazarus. Yeah, he was not shrewd with his money. He was not wise. He was not generous. He was not the things that Jesus has just been teaching his disciples they ought to be with his money. And so because of the choices he made and the life that he lived, this is where he, he, this is where he ends up. Because you had all these things and he had nothing, and oh, by the way, you ignored him every day, this is what he gets and this is what you get. That's the way it is. And then he says this. Again, I don't want to go too far into discussions of heaven and hell, but let's... It's here, so we're going to talk about it. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. So there's this great divide between the blessing that Lazarus has received and the punishment or torment that rich man is receiving. In order that those two would... I'm sorry. Yes. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. So, you say something? 
What's your thought? I was going to ask, ask, ask the question. In order that those would, those would pass, it's saying, for the ones that would think about it, would yeah, yeah, it's a convoluted way of saying those who want to go back and forth can't. Okay. Okay, that's what he's saying. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, thank you for clearing that up. It is, it is kind of awkward English. So what did, what, in this situation, this parable, Jesus is saying that whatever this heaven looks like and whatever this hell is, there's a, a divide. And it is consistent with Judaic Old Testament understanding of sort of heaven and hell that you are aware where you are. Like you know you're in heaven. And, you, and, and this rich guy knows that Lazarus is over there. It's almost like you can see the other people over there. Like so if you're in Hades or hell, like you get to watch everybody having a party and just sit by your lonesome. That's no fun, right? You know, not only do you have a bad, but you know that other people have a good. And then Jesus is telling us that you can't go back and forth. So it's not like, all right, you're in, in hell and I can send Lazarus to give you a drop of water. What he's saying is that that's not even a possibility. Here again, the word fix. What tense is that verb? Passive, all right? It has been fixed in the same way that Lazarus had been laid. What does that indicate? Yes. And in this case, who can we assume that has been done by? God. All right. So God has set up this afterlife in such a way that you are you will find yourself in one spot, and we're not going back and forth. So we're gonna we're gonna leave that. And I know there's a discussion to be there be had. So if you want to have that discussion, we can have it. We're not gonna do it tonight. <laughs> okay. No, because that's that's a four hour tangent we can go on, and I know it is. I'm not trying to dodge it. I just we don't have time for it tonight. Okay. And so Abraham's given him a response, and does he accept it? Say, okay, that's cool with me. I'll just hang out here, right? Bart says no. <laughs> what, what does he do? What is he begging for? Okay, so he gets, he's starting to, it's starting to dawn on him what the situation is, right? He realizes where he is. He realizes now that he can't get to that other side. He realizes that he's not going to get help for himself. Abraham's not sending Lazarus to give him even water. He's stuck. So his tactic changes here. And his tactic is what, Bart? <laughs> Bart's not paying attention. What's his tactic? Somebody help Bart. Yeah, so his attention turns to his family who's not yet passed, that still has a choice to make. And he says, please, 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 do what? Let me talk to him? Yeah, send my slave boy, right? Like, he still thinks Lazarus is going to go do his bidding, right? He still doesn't get it. So send Lazarus to talk to him. Because I have five brothers, right? Yeah, I have five brothers. So we need to warn them because I don't want them to be stuck here with me. So at least he has a heart for his brothers and his family. Maybe he's not completely rotten and cruel. Yeah. You think that's a big deal? Okay, say more about it. You think it's a big deal? Say about say something about it. I don't know exactly what I think about it. I just think okay. that it's interesting that, like, I mean, it's not this. I think that it, that whether it's because he's where he he's, he is where he is or not, uh, regardless, he's not completely. You know, it, it's easy for us to sort of like villainize him and say, "Well, you know, he's a terrible human being, and he's just his heart was black and cold, and yeah. so that's where he is because of that." But that's apparently not true because yeah. he said, "You aren't getting out of here." And his response was, all right, well, I believe you, but then can you 
can we at least do something about my family? Okay, sure. So, I mean, maybe... There's something there, right? Sure, there's something. Yeah, you know, the Grinch's heart just grew a couple sizes, maybe. I, just, <laughs> I think that's more on the selfishness, because I think that if that happens, then he's going to be seen as better. Like, the, you got them to repent. Okay, there's that take, too. Tart, or, tart, Bart, Bart, <laughs> Bart thinks that this guy really is cold-hearted, and what he's saying is he's doing this to look good, so that when he saved his brothers, he's the guy that saved them. Man, I don't know what you had. You got a lot into that. Okay. I suppose I'm going to say that's not here, and we're making assumptions at this point based on his, or upon his character based on what we think, Okay. Hang on to it. Okay? All right. So he wants help with his family, right? He wants his family to be saved from this torment that he's in. So, and Abraham addresses him again. Oh, stupid little sheep, right? <laughs> okay, what did he say? This one's big, folks. Yeah, they've got the, like, okay. They don't have the New Testament, right? Because it's not been written yet. But they got all that. They have the law and the prophets. They've got all this book that tells them everything they need to know. That's, this is what he's saying. They have this stuff. They have the stories. They've seen the wonders in their own day, right? They should know. And then what does Rich Man say? Is he done? He's still not done. I like that he tells them no. Yeah. That's funny. No. Yeah, yeah. No, Father Abraham. Like, okay, yeah. No, Dad. He's got some guts, right? No, 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 no. Why no? What's he say? What's he want now? Yeah, like he's still arguing in this point, right? What's he, what does he say? Yeah, certainly if someone like shows up to them from the other side, right? This ghost, all right? We're not talking about being raised from the dead here. We're saying send Lazarus from his dead state, from heaven, down to talk to him. Um, and this ghost apparition certainly is going to convince my brothers. Right? I mean, that probably wouldn't be. It would you? It would probably wouldn't be the ghost showed up and said, hey, <laughs> heaven's real, bro. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm dead, dead right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're a ghost. Believe you. Stick your hand for him. Yeah, Save his really ghost. All right. And so uh, Abraham yet has yet another response, equally as important. Pay attention to the words. Rich man asked for a ghost. What does Abraham say? I said, pay attention to his words. Okay. Abraham just upped the ante. You're asking for a ghost. So what I'm telling you is, if they're not going to believe Moses and the prophets, if they're not going to believe their heritage, if they're not going to believe their rabbis, their teachers, everything that God has been telling them for thousands of years, not only will they not believe a ghost, they will not believe it if someone actually rises from the dead. Jaw, Jen's jaw just hit the floor. <laughs> yes. Jen's like, I have a sweet idea for a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so what are, how do you marry that and what Chris said? Because I'm not convinced that... Remind me what Chris said. Chris said, if, if this happened, even a ghost... Like, so what I'm saying is, the argument is, if something happened, then... It's an if-then. If something happened, yeah. whether it's a ghost or a death raising or something, then I'll believe... And the flip side is, if something happens, it still won't be enough for you to believe. What do you do with all of the times where it says as of Jesus and what he did, that they saw his, might, his many works and believed, and many believed? Sure, and many did. So how is that, how would this be 
is he talking situationally right now? Your brothers aren't going to believe, or is he saying okay. like this? That's not the type of thing that would do it because okay. it is the type of thing in certain situations. Yes, and that is the question to be asked at this point. Praise God. Yeah, right on line. All right. <laughs> okay. Does, did everybody? <laughs> not the mic. Okay. What's the answer though? <laughs> We're getting there. Did everyone hear and understand what Nate just asked? Okay. What? I'm going to rephrase. You tell me if I've understood you correctly. Okay. There are many places in the Bible where we are told that people did see Jesus, one, his many miracles. We did see people, or do read about people who did see Jesus raised from the dead and believed. So we see this very thing happening. Okay. So how do we reconcile that? with this statement where he says, even if I did this for you, they're not going to believe. All right. I'm going to put pause because I want to know what the jaw drop was about. <laughs> when, I, when you said that and I read that if someone should rise from the dead, yeah. he's talking about himself. Yeah. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise from the dead. Oh. And they're not going to believe me. <laughs> so they're not still going yeah. to get it when yeah. I do this. Okay. And so... That's so good. Yes. Yeah. so good. You start to see it? Yeah. All right, we're going to have to explain it so everybody gets it. All right. But the answer is in there, what Jen just said. Okay. Here's the thing. There are those who will see it. Those are, there are those who this would happen for and they would believe. But there are also those who will not. And you, stupid rich man, and your low-life brothers are in that second category. No matter what God does for you, you're not going to get it. He's been doing things for you and your family and your people. I mean, this story is full, or this book is full of stories of God coming and rescuing his people and having them turn their back and screwing it up again. Time and time again, hardening their hearts and turning their back. And what he's saying, what Abraham is saying to a rich man is, that's who you are. You're never going to get it. You have hardened your heart to the point where no matter what God does for you, even if somebody rises and comes back from the dead in bodily form and eats a taco, right, right in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, what, what did he eat? Fish. Fish, right? Okay, fish taco, right? That's what it means. Jesus comes back and he eats, right? That's one of the reasons, is it Thomas, is doubting Thomas, who like sees and touches him and like he eats in front of them. He asks for bread um, after the, you know, the Emmaus road. Um, so, like, one of the things that we know that he's not a ghost is because he comes and eats. That's why I said the crazy thing about eating a taco, right? Clearly, he probably did not be, eat tacos, right? <laughs> okay. I bet he does. <laughs> and so what, what he's saying is there are those people, and you happen to be one rich man, that no matter what happens, no matter what God does, God could come and sit and have lunch with you and tell you all about the universe, and you would go home and be like, nah. I don't think so. All right? But absolutely, there are many people who do. And so that, that then begs the question, what's the difference? What's the difference? Okay, the difference between what? What makes someone see it, hear it? I don't know about you, I haven't seen Jesus walking around. Okay. Have you? Okay. Okay. So, what's the difference between those of us who believe and someone who hears the stories, looks, and, and doesn't? And... and there are those people who are struggling with it. There are probably those of us in this room who are tossing around this idea, but I don't just yet get it. You know, like, that's cool. That's th it's one thing to struggle, but there are also these rich people, the rich people is in this that, category. Is that a key? 
Um, <laughs> Nate asks if being rich is a key. Maybe in part. I mean, we certainly know that Jesus is talking about how you know, having wealth is definitely difficult. It makes kingdom life difficult, all right? Because now we are battling our greed and our, our sinful state, wanting to have things and possessions and be rich and powerful and wear purple, purple clothing, right? Against God. And we saw last week where Jesus says very strongly, you cannot serve two masters. You either love one or hate the other. So that's a piece. I don't know that it's necessarily the key, but it's definitely in the mix. What's, what's the difference? What makes those of us who do believe, those of us who are even questioning, different from those of us who just freaking hate God, want nothing to do with it, never will. God could knock them on the forehead, and they're just going to continue to go their own way. Selfishness? I think the answer was kind of in the question. And it has to do with your attitude towards the question. Is there a question to be asked? You know, there, The reality is there are those people who just will not even entertain the idea. Yeah, they won't hear it, all right? And, and here's, the, here's the interesting thing. This, this parable is sort of a play on words. You know when somebody gets up and says, I'm not even going to mention the fact, blah, 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 right? And they just go on and do it. What does the rich man plead for? What's his last plea? That makes us think maybe he's not such a hard-hearted guy. He wants to save his family, right? He wants the people who are still alive to hear about this so that they might have a chance to repent and move on. And what does Abraham say? They did not hear. He, I mean, just the, the two-letter word. No. no, right? What is this story? What are we reading? It's a parable. Who's telling it? To who? A bunch of alive people who aren't dead yet who get to hear this. All right? And so it's a literary device in which Jesus is warning us, those of us who are rich, who are hard-hearted, who might be struggling on this fence, are you going to even question? Are you going to take it seriously? Are you going to be the kind of person who would even entertain the fact that God might exist? That there might be a Jesus who lived and died and wants to have a relationship with you? Are you going to be the kind of person who's not going to harden yourself and be a rich bastard and not feed the poor guy at your gate? Is that going to be you? That's, that's what he's doing here. That's what this parable is about. It's in response to Pharisees who love money, right? Are, are you going to be this rich guy? Or are you going to be like the guys we talked about last week that I hope my disciples are? Are you going to be generous? Are you going to be shrewd with your resources? Are you going to share are you going to care about other people? Are you going to love me? Not me, Sam. Me, God. Right? God. I mean, I, I want you to love me, but you don't have to. I, I can't save you. All right? That's, I don't do that. Who, who are you going to be? I mean, that's, that's his question. That's what this parable is about. And so I told you earlier that we all fall in the rich category. I know a lot of us don't like to think so. We look around and think lots of there are lots of people, lots more. But when we step back and really look at the world, you're rich. How many of you have a cell phone? I mean, how many of you have cars? How many of you have this, that, that? Like, we, we are rich. Okay, what? I have something to say. Okay, say it's it. really quick. Okay. Because I'm like, I keep, it keeps making more and more sense. So, That's a good thing, by the way. <laughs> so, 
I think I, I don't think maybe in the way I asked it, it's probably it's probably true that, that it's just a part of it, but not the whole thing. But I just keep, you know, of course, when we're talking about rich people, you can or the rich man or whatever. Yeah. It's 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 kind of the calling back for me to the rich young ruler, which is interesting because the purple and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be interesting to find out if they were somehow related, but they probably aren't. Regardless, though. You know, I've heard it. I've heard the interpretation of what was Jesus. What the heck was Jesus talking about when he said that it's easier for a rich man to enter through the eye of a needle, or what's he say? Easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than a rich man. Yeah, okay. And so, sorry. So, what I've heard is that the eye of the needle was like a door in the side of the of the city, and the reason that was prevalent was because Mm -hmm. in order for the camel to get through, it actually was. It was possible, but it was much smaller. It was the one, the gate that was used when the main gates were open, or one of them, uh-huh. whatever. I don't know that the details perfect, but what's always stuck out to me about that was that in order for the camel to get through, it had to strip itself of the bags that it was wearing, and, mm-hmm. carrying, and it had to get literally on its knees, basically, to crawl through. Yeah. If it were going to be possible, then that's what would have to happen. Yeah. And so, and similarly in this parable, you know, the way into salvation is through, you know, stripping pride and submitting to Jesus and whatever else. And so, like, I just can't get that imagery out of my head that, um, like, that would be the difference between the two camps. Like, which is the one that's going to be able to, like, strip the pride, strip the baggage, and get on their knees to be able to, like, enter. Yeah. And so, like, it, in that in that way, it's not about what's the... What's what? How much money do you have? It's like how rich is your, you know, self and mm-hmm. like the pride that you, you're, you're carrying and all that kind of stuff. Because you can't have, you can't. You come right. in as a servant, and you, there's no, you know, he's like, unless you die, you won't live. And so I just keep that. I don't know what I'm. I don't have a specific like. I'm just saying that that, that picture keeps coming to mind as I'm thinking. Sure. What's the difference between those two groups? The difference. I just keep going back to the idea that, you know. Yeah. Um, just in addition to what you were saying. Yeah, no, and I think there's there's a lot of truth there, and let's talk about it just for a minute. Um, but we'll, we'll end there. This will be it. Um, did everyone hear what Nate was talking about? Okay. <laughs> um, the, the the place where Jesus says it's easier for a rich man, or it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, there is um, scholarship out there that says that that is actually, in the same way we're talking about Gehenna and hell referencing a particular place, that there was one of the gates into the city was referred to as the eye of the needle. And so when it was, like Nate was saying, it's a smaller gate, and it was therefore obviously difficult for a camel, anything large, to get through it. And so in order for the camel to get through that gate, known as the eye of the needle, it had to be stripped of all of its baggage, of its rider, of anything that it was carrying. It had to actually get down on its knees and shuffle through the gate. And this gate would have supposedly are presumably been used when the other gates were not available. And so under that interpretation, what this statement, it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of the needle than a rich man to heaven. I get that right? If not, you know what I'm talking about. Um, what we're talking about is then, in order to do that, you've got to strip yourself of everything. And I would press the metaphor even a little further, um, which can be dangerous at times, but mm-hmm. all right, the, the, camel, the camel gets to the gates. You think he leaves his junk? I mean, his rider turns around and gets it and brings it back through, right? And so it's not like you had to abandon all of your stuff. 
but you at least had to be willing to, to let go of it. Does that make sense? And so what we're the way that relates here is, are you the rich guy who holds his stuff so tight and so close to his heart, to his bosom, that you are shutting out God? Because you cannot serve both. Or are you willing to let it go a little bit at least, to get through that gate, all right, to open yourself up to God? And sometimes that means you give your stuff away. Sometimes that means you start writing checks. Sometimes that means you spend every Saturday at a soup kitchen. It doesn't always. But what it does mean is we understand that our things are not our things. We talked about this last week. Our things are God's things. And they have been gifted and granted to us for our use for the betterment and advancement of his kingdom. And it's that mentality, that purpose, or that person that is the one that sees the sun raised and believes. That reads the scriptures and says, there's truth there. And it's the other person that reads it and says, that's absolute nonsense. And so it comes down to a heart condition. And that's what ultimately what this whole thing is about. Where is your heart? Do you love God? Do you like God? You're not so sure about God? You think it's a joke, but you're at least ready to ask some questions? Or, screw it all, I'm done, I'm going home. I'm going to tell you, even if you're the last one, there's still hope. Because it's very easy, and we said it last week, but we've got new people this week, and so I'm going to reiterate. It's very easy to walk away from stories like this, from talks like this, and feel like what you've just been told is... You are a bad person. You should be doing blank. You are not doing blank. In this case, you're not being generous. You're not asking the right questions. And so in order to be a good person, in order to be poor man with Abraham and be in heaven, go do blank. It's a bunch of crap. That's religion. That's the, thing, the very thing that Jesus comes and rails against. What Jesus comes and says, what the gospel is, yes, sometimes... Oftentimes, we're not great people. <laughs> All right? And yes, we ought to be doing blank. In this instance, we ought to be generous. We ought to be giving of our things and our time and our talents. What Jesus says is, look at me. I'm that guy who does that. Look at my life. Listen to my words. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my time, my talents. I'm not taking anything with me. And I'm ultimately going to lay down my life. I am your example but I am more than your example. Not only do I lay all of that down, but I'm going to take it back up. And in dying and coming back, I've conquered everything that stands in the way of you being able to do this too. And all you need to do is ask the question. Those of us who care about this church and the people that come here, um, we often talk about the moment when people really start asking real questions. And we always say, Jesus got them. We, a lot of us know it before you know it. Jesus gets you before you ever realize he does. And, and that's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to get you. And he's come to, he's, come to give you the, he's come to give you the power to live this life. Gospel is not, you're not doing X, you need to be doing X to go do it. Get a self-help book, get an accountability partner. You know? Like, right? Yeah, yeah. We got a Wednesday night Bible study. We don't, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, Sunday night church. You know, make sure you give ten percent. Like that's all religion. That's all rules. And that's that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, "Trust in me. 
I will make you be the person that wants to do this. I'll make you into that person. And so the, all of that to say, the question is, where's your heart? Do you care to even find out? Do you care to become the better person? Do you care to become the true son, the true daughter of God? Do you care to become more like Christ? Do you care to care about people? Do you care to be loved? If you say you don't, you'll lie. Lazarus gets brought up to Abraham's bosom. It's a funny word, right? But it's full of tenderness and love and affection, and, and that's what he has to give you. Do you care? You know? and, and if you say no, then we need to have a talk about, well, maybe you're the rich guy. But if you can say, yes, I at least care to ask the questions, we're on the right track. And if you do, if you have questions, ask them. There are lots of people in this room that would love to talk to you about them. Anybody have any questions? We've covered a lot. How did I know Bart's going to have a question? <laughs> I think this is speaking a lot towards, um, I don't remember where it is in the Bible, but where they ask for an example of Jesus he says no because if I show you then that's not yeah same type of thing Bart's asking about there's at least one other place where people ask for signs and wonders and Jesus actually says you're an evil generation because that's all you ask for um, it's the same same condemnation the same discussion that Jesus is having with these people that you you're not even the type of person that, that would have an effect on so. for me uh, it's not it not only like, talks about like money for me like it's more of like those times when you're having like a really bad day or like you're really frustrated about something and someone comes up and you're like, man, they want to talk. And instead of going, man, I'm having a bad day, I don't want to talk to you. Like you leave, like putting yourself aside and just being like, you know, like what's going on? And, like at least listening to that person, like and just giving up your time. Like for me, that's that's really hitting me through these verses. Like, yeah. I just need to that's be fun. more compassionate, you know, like yeah. and just listen to people sometimes. For sure. Any other comments? Let's go to the order. All right. I'm going to say a quick word of prayer. We're going to move into a time of worship. Um, as we do that, if you are tired of sitting in a metal chair and want to move, you're free to do so. Um, Jen, for example, is going to come sit on the rug because that's where she sits every day. You can move anywhere. If you need to move to the back and just listen, that's cool. Um, if you want to sing you know, so loud that you bother the rest of us, do it. If you just want to sit and... and just take it in. Do that, all right? This is a time for us to connect with God however you want to. And so feel free to move, to sing, to not sing, raise hands, to dance, uh, whatever you want to do, all right? So I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we'll do that. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious and merciful God who has sent your Son so that we might know your heart for us. And as we've looked at tonight, Lord, the truth is there are times when we uh, we struggle, we, we question, um, we harden our hearts, and those are, those are dangerous times for, for us. Um, yes, there's an eternal consequence, but there is also uh, an immediate consequence that we cut ourselves off from you, who wants nothing more than to love us. And so as we enter into a time of worship now, Lord, I just ask that that hardness that might be within us is just removed, that you would take that, that you would do away with it, that it would not again be a thought in our heads. 
and that instead would be replaced with a burning desire for you, Lord, and that these next 10, 15 minutes we would spend heaping praise and worship and adoration upon you because you so truly deserve it. You are so loving and amazing and glorious, and you are worth surely 15 minutes of our love. And so I ask that you would be present with us, that your spirit would pull us towards you. And we ask this in your son's name and in the power of that spirit. Amen.